There's nothing like uh, singing a song that is filled with doctrine. And songs this morning we have sung are not sentimental songs, which there's nothing wrong with a testimonial song necessarily, but when it gets right down to it, what can replace true doctrine set to music? That uh, solidifies that in your own mind. You can sing that song during a week and be reminded of what God has done in your life. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning, continue our study in uh, Colossians, and we'll begin this morning with uh, Colossians 1, 21. By the way, on Tuesday mornings, we are finishing up the book of Acts in the next couple of weeks, and then we will begin the book of Romans, verse by verse, 6.30 in the morning here at the church on Tuesday. Yeah, you say that's kind of early. Yeah, it is. But it's a good test of how serious you are studying the Word of God, too. So I've never really uh, apologized for meeting at 6.30 in the morning. Uh, I learned that from the uh, founder of the Navigators, Dawson Troutman. And uh, he started the whole Navigator movement just before World War II in San Diego. And he was interested in reaching uh, military men for Christ. So he started a ministry on an aircraft carrier and led some men to the Lord and he had a Bible study follow up in the Bible study and the movement began and people would say, uh, Dawes, I'd like to meet with you. And he'd say, okay, I'll be up at 5.30. I'll meet you at such and such a park. God say, I'm, uh, that's too early. Well, then uh, how serious are you about meeting? So I never apologize for that time. And I'm not saying if you don't come, you're not spiritual. I'm just saying that if you think it's too early, uh, I'm not going to apologize for it or move it. We do have one, however, at 7 o'clock if you want to do that at Wendy's in York. Uh, and, and we meet for an hour there if you, you can sleep a half hour longer and come. Colossians 1. All right. Colossians 1. The true Christian's testimony. And though you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. He's this way he starts out. The previous verse that we found and was talking about how we were reconciled to God, how this came about, and how, how this movement and how he moves into this. Just take a look at the previous verse. Verse 20, Colossians 1. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Been singing about that this morning. The blood speaks of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He had to die a sacrificial death. It wasn't suicide, and it wasn't a natural death. It was a sacrificial death, like all of the animals from Moses on, actually from Adam on, all the animals died sacrificially. They were laid on an altar, their, their throat was cut, then the blood was shed because God said, if you sin, Adam, you shall what? Surely die. And God in grace was gracious enough to let Adam and Eve live long enough 
to have children of which you and I are part of. And so even though you may be here and not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you may be here for whatever reason, but you're here because God was gracious enough to Adam and Eve, even though they had sinned and deserved immediate physical death, God let Adam live 930 years and have children and you of which you and I are a part. So grace has played an important part not only in our physical being, but it also plays a most important part in our spiritual condition before him. And so he reminds us in this verse, in verse 20, that he having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, I say whether things on earth or things in heaven, God has restored and will restore all of earth and all of heaven. And eventually, you and I will be living with Christ as his bride in the new heaven and the new earth, restored, renovated. And prior to that, we will live with him for a thousand years in his kingdom, where all will be made clear. But remember, the millennial reign of Christ, the people who enter it and populate it are the people who are, survive as believers, Jew and Gentile, through the seven years of judgment that God is going to bring on this earth and renovate it too. God is going to change this earth as well. Every mountain will be moved according to Revelation and every hill will be moved as well and this will be a renovated earth and the curse of the earth will be lifted for a thousand years. And even after that, even under perfect ideal conditions, men still reject Jesus Christ even having seen him. It's a horrible thing when you're lost and to be redeemed from that is unbelievable as he reminds us in this verse. And we see in this section Christ, the purpose of Christ's work in verses 21 to 29. And we see it concerning the Colossians in verses 21 to 23. And then he begins telling us, reminds us of what we once were. Now he says, although you... Now that's an inter I think the, I, I like the KS, uh, what am I, what do I have here? The New Standard, what is it, NASB, how is that? New Standard Biblical Version. Is that right? New America. New America. Uh, that's what I'm using. I very seldom look at uh, what it is, but that's what I'm using. I think they play down this beginning of this just a tad. The actual Greek starts with this, and you, and you were formerly. And it's kind of a, a break from what he just explained, that we, would, we are reconciled to God. But let's remember what we were. So you can appreciate the reconciliation even greater. And he says in this, look at verse, the following verse, we're formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Prior to salvation, they were pagans, as indicated by the word formally. Their condition is described in two ways, mentally and physically. The mental precedes the physical because we act as we think. You know, Proverbs says, as a man thinketh, thinks, 
So is he. The actions that people do are deliberate and they are formed in the mind. And eventually they come out. That's why you got to keep your mind clean. And that is why the Bible keeps saying over and over again in the Bible, set your mind on things above. Think on these things. The cleaning of your mind. So what people do is not accidental. It has been contemplated in the mind. And like people murder other people, that has been a series of contemplation. Adultery, a series of a con contemplation. It just doesn't happen suddenly. It's been a mental condition that leads us up to our sin. And he says, first of all, you were alienated, you were estranged from God. Being a stranger from God, we didn't think God thoughts. God wasn't in our thoughts. Our primary thinking was ourself, my plans, my goals, my thoughts, my ways, my rights. I'm not thinking about God at all. I'm, a, I'm alienated, estranged from him. Furthermore, he says, you're not only estranged from Adam until this day, and you're estranged from God from the moment you're conceived until the moment you're converted. In Romans chapter 5, take a look at verse 12, see where all this in, indicated. I think most of you probably know already without us going there, but it's a good reminder. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where he has a whole section on it actually, but we're picking out one verse which says, Therefore, just as one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So, the, he's picking on the Colossians, but he's also using the Colossians to speak to us. Prior to our salvation, we were estranged. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, and it never was an issue in our house that I could remember whether we're going to church on Sunday or not. That was a fait accompli. Uh, in fact, if it snowed, uh, we went anyway, and the only reason we didn't get to church is we got stuck somewhere. Or if it rained, we, for the first few years we lived there, we had a mud road, and uh, it, we'd, ha we'd plow through, and, and my dad believed that the faster he went on mud, the quicker he'd be not stuck. So I grew up driving on mud roads, my dad swerving and, and going as fast as he could, and my mom screaming, bloody murder. <laughs> so that's how I went on rainy days. So now he says, not only are you estranged from all this, you are something else. You are hostile. Estrangement is coupled with hostility toward God, me mentally. Literally, hostile is from the Greek word translated enemy in most cases. Prior to our salvation, be us in a Christian home or not, we were enemies of God. Being hostile reveals the sinner is actively opposed to God and breaks his moral law. This hostility begins in the mind. It begins with us being estranged from God. We're all there. Now we may have invented a God or put our faith in a God who really wasn't God 
And we say, well, we believe in God, but it wasn't the God of the Bible. It's a God who allows us to do what we want to do. We look at God and we are hostile because we see his rules ruining everything we want to do. And I know that uh, people look at the believer and they say, why, why would I be a believer? There's no fun there. Got to go to church and they got to do this and they got to obey this and that. And I've had people tell me this. Why would I become a Christian and subject to stuff that really I don't like? Meeting in a church and singing when I could be on a golf course or have a boat and be on a lake or I could be doing something else. Why would I ruin every weekend with a Sunday worship service? Well, I've heard that, and you probably have too, and you may have even thought it. But I've come to realize that this is probably the highlight of my week. And this is the time when I meet with fellowship with God, and this is the time I meet with my friends and we fellowship. In fact, I'm here every Sunday, and after church, people hang around and fellowship and catch up with people, and that's what God intended it to be. And also that we are reminded of a God who loves us, a God who went all the way to the cross through Jesus Christ and saved us and answers our every need. Uh, we see it in a whole different light. And this hostility, uh, one of the facets of this is when we read this verse, you are formally aided alienated and hostile in mind in the mind it's a mental thing I don't want to listen I don't want to go I know that some of the teenagers here think that way think, why am I here why do I have to go here what is the point of all this and mental it's a mental attitude of hostility toward God and it's a sign when it continues of one not Believing in Jesus Christ. I'm here and I don't want to be. I went through that stage too. And I thought by locking myself in the bathroom. That I wouldn't have to go. Because I didn't see any key on the outside of the door. On the knob. So I locked the bathroom. And dad said we're going to church. And I said. And he said where are you. And I'm in the bathroom. And I'm not going. And I was locked in. But I found out that lock doesn't hold much. And I went. And I had a hard time sitting down half the way. Because my dad believed in corporal punishment. And uh, God has made, for you parents, God has made a really wonderful place. It's called the Glutus Maximus. And it's got high sting but hardly any results. So uh, once in a while you got to take advantage of that. If you beat a child, Proverbs said he will not die. And it's not beat there in the sense that you think of being beaten. It's a thing, it's, from the standpoint of a parent, it's a love pat that he deal, really doesn't want to do, but he does because he knows that without it, he may raise a fool. And you don't want to do that. So anyway, back to the passage I thought I'd throw that in for extra we read here that in mind engaged in evil deeds hostile in mind brings up evil deeds see it's a pattern 
start out estranged, you become hostile in the mind, and you're engaged in evil deeds. That was, a, that was our, the plan of all of us. Before we were saved, and I'm so thankful, uh, as we said last week, you know what, I am so thankful for forgiveness. And then he tells us in Romans chapter 1, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 28 and following. He tells us what the sins are that are in our nature. And if you're born again, it's an old nature. You're a new man in Christ. On the other hand, if you're not born again, this is typical of your thought pattern. And this is typical of your life. You may not express all of this openly and physically, but it's still there. Still there. By the way, when you get saved, that old nature is not changed. When you get saved, that old nature is still present. And as a Christian, you still are plagued by all of these things. They're in the hard drive of your mind, and at funny times, some of these thoughtful sin patterns come up, even while you're praying. Let's be honest. You can be praying to the Lord and all at once you have a pause and you're thinking about something else. And so here's the pattern of an alienated, estranged mind, a hostile mind, a mind that is capable of using, doing evil deeds. Romans 1, 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all un unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, unworthy, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they knew the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Wouldn't you say that's a good picture of our culture? That's where we are. We should not be shocked by that. And we should realize the answer to that is a converted soul. A soul that has come to grips with the fact that this is what we are, and I want forgiveness, and I want out of the slave market of sin, and I want to be free to serve God. In fact, our whole sanctification process, our growth toward God, we have to deal with all these temptations. Just keep coming up, and keep coming up, and keep coming up, until you get to the point you have a life full of it, and you can hardly wait to enter the pearly gates and be freed from this forever. Estrangement from God and mental hostility, hostility toward God results in evil deeds. Verse 22. Yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him and blameless beyond reproach. Again, I don't think the new ASV 
is as forceful as it could be. Because it should be now saying, but now, in contrast to what we just read. In verse 21, he said, and you, specifically, now he says, but now, which gives us a clear contrast of what we were to what we are now present in, in Christ. Christ's work on the cross was to reconcile them to God. He has now reconciled you in the flesh. It's interesting. Reconcile means he's broke down all barriers. Prior to Christ's coming, there was a barrier in there, a barrier between God and man. You know what that barrier was? It was God's righteousness as explained in the law. The Ten Commandments give us a standard of what God expects from us. Nobody here has the audacity to say, I've kept all the Ten Commandments all the time in my life, right? Honestly, you'll admit at least one time you lied. We admit that? Just, you know, this means yes. Yeah, yeah we, let's face it. We sin. Hard to say it, isn't it? That's funny. Would you say everybody here at some point, it's a, a, almost an adult or an adult, would say we've had pride? Yeah, we have. So you know what? We have not always loved God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. We haven't done that. And God hates sin. And the wages of sin are death. It only took one sin to condemn billions of people who've lived on this earth. That one sin took place in the garden. When Adam went ahead and did what God told him not to do. And the rest of the race, with the exception of Jesus Christ, who is true man, the rest of us were born in sin. And we are characterized by what we just read in Romans. Even though we may not have done all those deeds, they're in our mind. And that stood between God and man. However we read, he has now reconciled you. He broke down that barrier in his fleshly body through death. Jesus Christ became God of very God, became man of very man. And he was on that cross, flesh and blood... And he paid the price of men and mankind on that cross as a sacrifice and his blood was shed. And that was considered by God a sufficient payment to break down the barrier. One man was perfect and lived up to it. He didn't deserve to die, but he died voluntarily and paid the price for every one of us in this room. He did it in flesh and blood. And we sang, he washed away my sin. The blood speaks of his sacrifice that he paid. He didn't bleed to death. But he bled, his hands and his feet were bled 
and seen as his death. And when he had died, they came and pierced his side. And water and blood came out. He actually died for us as a sacrifice. He is our sacrifice. Otherwise, we should pay the price. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you and the end of the world or Christ would come right now, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you would literally go to hell. That's how serious this is. We're all here. Our hearts beating. And suddenly, it stops. Need to prepare for that time. Jesus Christ made that preparation through his death on the cross. We sang that this uh, morning in, uh, in that song, His Robes Were Mine. He, uh, it actually has the words in that song, propitiation. Did you catch it? That word means that God is satisfied. God is satisfied with the death of Jesus Christ. His wrath against sin was quieted forever. And all who come by Jesus Christ personally have eternal salvation. In Ephesians 2.15 it talks about, and why this fleshly is important, especially in Colossians. There was a major cult called the Gnosticism that was going around at this time. And this cult taught that anything that was material was evil. And anything in the spirit world or thought world was okay. And so they denied the deity of Jesus Christ because he was material. And he would not be sufficient. And so Paul is going to make a point of this in chapter 2. But he's already uh, aiming toward it in a sign. In Ephesians 2.15 we read this. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, so that in himself he might make an end and might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. He broke down that barrier in his flesh. Philippians 2.8, you're more familiar maybe with that passage, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Bone, blood, and skin were given for us on that cross. Blood of the person of Jesus Christ. Why did he do this? Why is this so important? He says, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. The aorist infinitive says this will be the purpose. To present you before him holy. The word present is a word that has a, an affixed preposition. Para. From which we get the word parallel. Alongside. So he's going to present us alongside. Holy. With God. How holy is God? He's beyond, our, he's beyond our comprehension. Not one single solitary sin 
is in God. In him, 1 John says, is no darkness at all. So when you stand, when we are presented by, in front of him, in the court of divine justice, you know what we're going to stand as? Holy. You know what I stand as today? A sinner, what? Saved by grace. I can't get away from that. Sometimes I think, and I would say sometimes, quite often actually, I think of where I am right now, and I think of my life and all the, all the sin and times I've blown it, and God is faithful, keeps me saved, keeps me walking with him, keeps putting up with me my grace. I'm looking forward to the day I don't have to think about that. I'm looking for the day I am so holy as he is holy. I'm as good and holy as Jesus Christ is holy. I've been justified. I've been declared righteous. Furthermore, he says, not only will you be holy, he'll present you holy alongside in that court of justice. He says, not only that, he says, well, let's just take a verse that reminds us of that first of all. In Ephesians 5.27, here's Paul's point. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Okay. I've been in a preaching for over 60-some years. Now, I, I, I've had three major churches shortest of which was is this one now every church I've been in was not spotless not even this one we've had our ups and downs as everybody else maybe not as much because you've been faithful to the Word of God and you have yielded to the Word of God and because the congregation has as a responsibility we want to live for God and we want him to to use us here in this community and even though so it's avoided a lot of pitfalls that a lot of churches have had but we all have our problems right but when we stand before God the church the true church will stand before him without a spot and without a blemish furthermore when we stand beside him we will, there will be no accusations whatsoever. You know, I, people, uh, they, they say that about me, you know. Oh, I remember him. He was a preacher over our church. We had this against him. He wasn't, he was too dogmatic. He didn't love enough. He didn't do all the right things. I'm not your typical pastor, so I get the non-typical things too. Also, people will say, you know, they come to our church. Oh, they do? Did you know what they did in the past? You know what they did? You know who they are? Making accusations. And, and probably we deserved it, if we're honest. But when we get to heaven, 
There will not be one accusation against us. We stand sanctified completely through the blood of Jesus Christ in his presence. You know, we may have blown it somewhere, but we're going to be blameless without accusation. Ephesians 1.4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. No second-class believers. All first-class. You may be the strongest believer here, or you may be the weakest believer here, but when you and I stand before Christ, Every one of us will get every blessing. I've been through some graduations in my life, and I've never been a valedictorian of a class. I never had that problem. But I'd stand in graduation, and I'd see my buddy be valedictorian, salutatorian, and I'd say, I could have done that. And he gets the rope or whatever. And I just get the cap that I can flip over. And I'm happy. But you know, when I get to heaven, every spiritual blessing that can give, be given out will be given out to us. If you're a born-again believer, no matter what state of maturity or lack thereof you are. He'll be blameless. And he says, furthermore, when we stand before the, there'll be no charges against us. Right now, when you turn to 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2, you're going to read this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Then he'll add, if you sin, anyone sins. And we all have, haven't we? If anyone sins... You have, uh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our defense attorney. If you're going to go to court, it's good for you to have somebody who is standing up with you, who knows what's going on, and he can stand there and help defend you as your helper, your advocate. I wouldn't advise going into a court scene without a lawyer who knows what he's talking about. And here we have Jesus Christ who paid the price full. And when the accusations come, he just stands up. The scars are in his hands, his feet, and his side. I paid the price. Case dismissed. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Turn it there. And you see what's going on. While you're sitting here and I'm standing here, here's what's going on in heaven. He's writing to the Israelites and he's saying, Now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ has come to this. And here's why. And here's what happened. The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. 
You know what the devil's doing right now? <clears throat> if you're a Christian, he's taking you to the court. And he's saying, you know, God, Joe Blow is such a good Christian, and he's, look at him now, he's sleeping in the Bible church. Oh, I should use a different example, probably. <laughs> Not paying any attention. He claims to be a Christian, but he doesn't witness. Claims to be a Christian, but he doesn't have much of a prayer life. Claims to be a Christian, but he doesn't always read the Word. Claims to be a Christian, but he's a real crank. He doesn't exercise the fruit of the Spirit. What does Jesus say? I paid for it. I paid for that. I paid for it. You'll go to heaven if you sleep in church and you're a believer. You'll go to heaven if you're generally known as a crank. You'll generally, you'll go to heaven if some of these things, it's not going to keep you out of heaven. But you're giving the devil a lot of opportunity to to accuse you. But once and for all, he's going to stop it. We'll no longer be accused. Romans 8.33 puts it this way. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Now I can't, I don't have time this morning to exegete the whole next verse as I intended to do. But I have enough time to read it to you. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Oh, there's some human responsibility here. The person who accepts the message of reconciliation and places their faith in Christ there's certain results as there were evil deeds from a hostile mind. Now there are things that are typical of those who are reconciled. Such as a faith firmly established. A foundation on which they stand. Steadfast, rigid in their faith. Not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You and I have been aware a long time. We've had more and no more than one who claimed to be a believer, was all excited about Christ, and suddenly, where are they? Slipped back into the world. Because a truly born-again Christian will persevere. He will make it through the trials and tribulations. He won't fade and say it wasn't worth it all after all. That's how I know you're a believer. You can say, yeah, I was saved. But it's not words that tell me you're saved. It's what? Your deeds. Your steadfastness to true doctrine. Your steadfastness in a godly life. Then we can say, yes, you will be blameless. You will be part of the family. You will have no accusation against you. And so we read, we have been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. 
And we're going to, uh, this morning, have communion. And this will be for you and me to make a public statement to those around us here that we are in communion with Jesus Christ. That we believe Jesus gave his fleshly body on the cross as a sacrifice. And we believe, secondly, that the cup represents the blood that was shed. Now, nothing happens to the bread when you eat it. You don't become a more spiritual Christian. Nothing happens to the cup when you drink it. Scrape juice stays grape juice. Bread stays bread. It's just an emblematic way or a symbolic, symbolic way of saying the bread represents the body of Christ that was given for me and the, blood, the cup represents the blood, the sacrifice that was shed for me. So nothing happens to the elements themselves, but what happens, it happens to you. It gives you opportunity and me opportunity to judge ourselves and make sure the sin in our life has been confessed when we have repented of it. And so if you're taking this blood, and, or excuse me, if you're taking this cup and bread, you are saying to us that your sin, you've reconciled that, you repented of that sin this morning, and you're in fellowship with God, you're in communion with God. Why do we call it communion? Another warning. Don't do it hypocritically, because if you do it hypocritically, 1 Corinthians 11 says some are sick and some die. And you say, well, I'm not going to confess my sin. I'm not going to go do that. I'm not going to take communion this morning. I've heard that. I didn't take communion this morning. Why? Because I don't want to get straightened up. Oh, man, you're, you're in for judgment. And you're in for chastening for not doing this. One other thing I, I, I should remind you, too. If you don't know Jesus Christ, be honest here. I believe there are stripes in hell. There are worse places in hell than hell. Hell is bad enough, but there are areas that are more stripes. By faking it and saying, I'm taking this, and I know I've not received Jesus Christ as my Savior, you're just adding stripes. You're better off being honest and say, okay, I'm not going to take it because I'm not a Christian. And then I'd say, this is a good time for you to repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. What a better, what a better time to do it than this, right now. So let's uh, stand for prayer and I'll ask our deacons and elders to come prepare the table. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, for the price he paid on the cross. Help us all, Lord, to be honest with you. We know that it's our sin and our pride just keeps us from wanting to do that. We want to hide, but we can't hide from you. So, Father, make it clear to all of us. Many of us have taken communion year after year after year, and every time it's new, every time we come, 
Sometimes we come with bitterness. Sometimes we come with excuses. Sometimes we come with a victim mentality. And we say, woe is us. But you, Father, have made all things great. May we confess our mental attitude toward you and participate in this service clearly and truthfully. And that's what we ask.